Amen. Good morning. My name is Andy John King. I'm the lead pastor at Lindsay Lane. It's good to see you. Glad to have everybody here. If you take your Bibles, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Today, we finish up our uh, sermon series called Give to Go. Next week is Easter. Come on. Next week is Easter. And so we are looking forward to next week. I hope you are as well. I know this week is spring break, but everybody better be in here on next Sunday, all right? I'm serious. No, I'm, um, we look forward to, uh, to look forward to Easter next week. We have three services, and uh, if you remember last time, we were outside doing a drive-in uh, Easter. So we thank the Lord that we're inside this year, and uh, glad to have it. <clears throat> As I mentioned, we are finishing our sermon series called "Give to Go," and basically, we are highlighting our missions offering for 2022. We'll take that offering up the first. Sunday in October, but this is more than just one offering that goes towards uh, filling the budget to reach cross cultures with the gospel for the next year. This is really about God working on our hearts for any time we're presented with the opportunity to give. So there's a few things that I've been mentioning over the last couple Sundays. One, these messages and their application have everything to do with members of Lindsay Lane. If you call this your church home, then this application of being generous does have to do with you. If you are visiting with us today, we hope that you'll take the principles from God's Word, that you'll be generous with every godly opportunity you're given, wherever you are, but you're under no obligation or responsibility here at this church to do so. If you're here and you're visiting again for the first time, this this is about what God's Word is about. People have have told me in the last couple of weeks, uh, just uh, commented on the sermons, and the truth is, is y'all, I don't have to come up with this stuff, I just report it. Are you hearing me? Like, I just get to tell you what God's Word says. And if you're not a believer and you're in this place today, truly, this, this is truly about giving your life to the Lord before anything that happens of God and godly value in your life happens to give your life to the Lord. So the responsibility of this and these messages are on the membership of Lindsay Lane. This is not about raising money. I've said this in the last few weeks. Truthfully, God has, has blessed us. We are a generous church. We're in a good position financially. This is not about raising money. It's not about building the glory of Lindsay Lane Baptist Church. We're not building the glory of a local church. We're working for the kingdom. Amen? This is about increasing the kingdom of God. And so with all of that being said, we'll lead into 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 10 through 15. I'm going to read the word of God to us. Let God's Spirit just speak to us a moment before we teach and preach. I'm going to pray and we're going to get rolling. Starting at verse 10, here is my advice. It would be good for you to finish what you started a year ago. Last year, you were the first who wanted to give, and you were the first to begin doing it. Now you should finish what you started. Let the eagerness you showed in the beginning be matched now by your giving. Give in proportion to what you have. Whatever you give is acceptable if you give it eagerly. And give according to what you have, not according to what you don't have. Of course, I don't mean your giving should make life easy for others and hard for yourselves. I only mean that there should be some equality. Right now you have plenty and can help with those who are in need. Later they will have plenty and can share with you when you need it. In this way, things will be equal. As the scripture says, those who gathered a lot had nothing left over, and those who gathered only a little had enough. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that your spirit would guide us into all truth, that you make it plain. Lord, I pray that we would humble ourselves before you and your word. 
Lord, I pray if there's any conclusions we've already made up in our mind about the way today's going to go, that we set those aside and that we would hear from you. Lord, we would humble ourselves and hear from you. We pray that you would use us to do a lot for your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Interestingly enough, the, the first ever seatbelt alarm was created by a husband in the 1960s who created it for, as he wrote in an article, the most stubborn person he'd ever met, which was his wife. He created this seatbelt alarm. This is true. He, he said each time they rode together, she never would put her seatbelt on. And he cared so much for her health and safety. Some of you may be thinking he just wanted to be right, but he cared so much about her health and safety that he installed by his own ingenuity an alarm system by connecting some wires that when she got in the car on the passenger side, the alarms would not go off until she clicked the seatbelt. It would repetitively go ding, 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 just like in your cars, just like in mine, repetitively over and over. Listen, when we study the Word of God, when we study Scripture, we must look at what is repetitive. Because what is repetitive is what is important. Think about what you read in the Word of God. God's Word says, over and over, do not be afraid. Over and over, rejoice in the Lord always. It, it, repetitively, it repetitively tells us to, to give thanks. These are all phrases that are repeated in Scripture, and it's repeated because it's important. Like, we're going to need it. Today, as we finish out this sermon series called Give to Go, as we are looking ahead to any opportunity that we are given to give just like Annie Armstrong, the offering then being next week and looking forward to the first Sunday in October being our Give to Go missions offering for the next year. As we preach and teach these messages, we move towards a spirit of generosity. We see things today repeated in our final message of this series in this passage that we need to take on because it's important. As we saw in the scripture, the first thing, and we talked about this last week, but again, it's repetitive, so we're going to lead off with it this week. The first thing that Paul wants the church at Corinth to know as they are being challenged to give of themselves towards meeting the needs of the church in Jerusalem is finishing. Finishing. This is the first repetitive word you're going to find in verse 6. Finish this ministry of giving. Verse 10, finish what you started a year ago. Verse 11, finish what you started. Corinth before the, the churches at Macedonia. The Bible says that the churches at Corinth before Macedonia gave, the churches at Corinth were the first that wanted to give. It says that they were the first that began to give. And now it seems that they are the last to finish giving. So Paul's message again, repetitively because it's important, is you must finish the ministry of giving. Again, it's truly my hope that God uses this series of messages towards that offering. But it's also just my hope that God uses this series of messages towards any opportunity we have to be generous for the glory of God and the good of man. But the truth is, as we are reading these scripture, Paul makes a distinction between considerations and donations. Considerations are, man, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. Donations are, we put our money where our mouth is. And so finishing is repetitive because it's important because finishing proves sincerity. Take that note. Finishing proves sincerity. Years ago, I'm on a baseball team that travels to Gadsden, all the way to Gadsden to play baseball. It's, it's a day in the spring, much like the weeks that we've been going through. There's a chance of rain, and not just a little bit of rain, but rain that'll just forget the whole thing, right? 
We get over there, we play one inning, and the bottom falls out. It rains and rains and rains, and all of us are just sitting there in the dugout watching it rain. They've already tarped the field. It's raining so much that fishing worms are beginning to present themselves at our feet. That kind of rain, right? Well, with 18, 19, 20-year-old boys, we're sitting in that dugout, and we're bored. And one of our catchers gets down, and he picks up one of these worms and holds it up in front of all of us. And he says, what do y'all give me to eat this worm? Now, ladies, if y'all are wondering what guys do when they hang out, it's this kind of stuff. I mean, it really is. Somebody say amen to that, guys. Like, this is the kind of stuff we do. So from there, everybody says, uh, one guy goes, I'll give you 20 bucks. Another one goes, I'm going to give you 20, but I'll give you five. Like, I'm like, I'll give you one, you know. And the whole team, the whole team has now promised him we have pledged money towards the effort for him to eat this worm. So now he has the confidence and the motivation. He looks at all us and he kind of does his eyes like this. He opens his mouth, he throws it in his mouth and just eats it, just eats it. Gone. Shows us his tongue, right? Like it's done. And that man today is still owed money from every single member of our baseball team. If I'm lying, I'm dying. Nobody paid him a dime. But we, we were away from our wallets, right? We were in the dugout. We all pledged. We all pledged. But once the entertainment and the emotion was over, we all started thinking about ourselves again. We all started thinking about our money that we had pledged. There's a difference between considerations and donations. Again, we're not even taking money up today. This is not about raising money today and all that kind of stuff. But I want you to understand what happened. We had started with a desire to give, but finishing proves whether or not we are sincere about it. Finishing. This is why it's repetitive. We were, we were not serious about giving. We were serious about emotion. We were serious about entertainment. And once the inter- entertainment, emotion out of it, again, we begin to think about ourselves. This is just the truth. It's easy to pledge, but pledging and finishing are two different things. Pledges are, are promises of commitment. Contributions are fulfilled promises of commitment. This is just a repetitive issue that Paul is dealing with. This is why we teach our kids not to quit when they start something. Like, if you're going to start it, we're going to finish it, even if you don't like it. And God says you need to give and like it. But we're going to start it, we're going to finish it, because if we don't finish it, it means you weren't serious about it to begin with. So this is why we teach finishing to those that we influence. And this is something that is repetitive in the Scripture that Paul goes back with them over, over and over in three different verses. You had the desire when you first started, now you've got to finish it. Otherwise, you were not sincere before God when you started and wanted to. Second thing we see is eagerness, enthusiasm. Notice that when it came to giving, the Jerusalem church and contributing toward meeting the needs of the church... There was a want to within the church at Corinth. The Bible says in verse 10, last year you were the first who wanted to give. There was a real desire there for them to help the church at Jerusalem, which was struggling. They were struggling to survive. And the church at Corinth wanted to. There was a desire there. And then in verse 11 and 12, we see one word repeated twice. And the New Living Translation says the word eagerness or eager. Look at verses 11 and 12. Now you should finish what you started. 
Let the eagerness you showed in the beginning be matched now by your giving. Give in proportion to what you have. That's also repetitive. Whatever you give is acceptable if you give it eagerly. And give according to what you have, not what you don't have. Eagerness. Here's a couple things as we look at verse 11 and 12. As we look at the idea of eagerness, of enthusiasm. Your translation may say a willing mind, a readiness to will. Like it is within your desire to do that. This is about an attitude. It's not about an amount. This is about how you give, not what you give. It's about not just finishing, but finishing with an attitude that God approves. Two things relative to repetition on enthusiasm. One, get it back. Get your enthusiasm back. If you used to be fired up, you need to get fired up again. This is the message to the Word, to Corinth. The Bible says, let the eagerness you showed in the beginning be matched now. In the beginning is what the Scripture says. In the beginning was a new opportunity. It was a new feeling. It was a new challenge. It was a new motivation. It was a new way to make a difference. A year ago, they were eager to fulfill the work that God had begun in their heart. It was something that mattered to God, so it mattered to them. And they used to be on fire for that. But over a year's time, the new had worn off. And when something is new, we're fired up about it, are we not? A new season. Football gets here, and it's like, thank you, Lord. We are all rejuvenated once again. A new relationship. For a new relationship, we are so excited. We're so fired up. I remember when I first met Brittany. We first began to date. And, and she lived in Birmingham. I lived in Athens. And I would have drove every day to see her. I was so excited. I'd still do that still. But it was the new relationship. It was the new relationship. And when it's new, you are fired up. A, a new song. Remember when a song comes on? The radio that's new and that becomes your song and when you hear it, and now it's not even on the radio. You can just click a button and you hear it anytime you want to. But used to it began to be when that song would come on the radio and you were like, hey, that's, that's it. Like in the 90s, Montel Jordan, this is how we do it. Gosh, I'm making myself old. Some of you are laughing. You have no idea what that is. Some of you are like, that's what I'm talking about, man. That's, that's the song. But when you hear it, you get excited. It fires you up. But anything that moves on and becomes familiar, it's like B.B. King, the thrill is gone. Because it's not new any longer. When it comes to spiritual matters, when it comes to things that God values, let me just tell y'all, here's who can be counted on to move with enthusiasm. New believers, new members, new leaders, and new churches. Fired up. About what? About everything. But everything that God values, all of them wanting to do, wanting to serve, wanting to be there, wanting to lead others, wanting to witness, want to learn how to witness, wanting to reach the community, new members, new leaders, new believers, new churches. Because it's new and a new work, they are fired up. This is a challenge for us if we are longtime members of the same church. And again, this is not everybody, so don't take it personal unless it's personal. But, but for all of us, if we've been members so long of the same church, the new has worn off, and, and now we had that desire at one time, it used to be the enthusiasm that was, well, what about now? Because the work of the gospel is still going on last time I checked. So, 
enthusiasm is something that if it's not new now, we got to get it back. And this is what he was saying to the church at Corinth. There was a day when you were fired up to meet the needs of people, and that's what God cared about, so you cared about it, and you let everybody know it. Now, you've got to give and give eagerly just as you did before. Because now, if you give and you're like, we said we were going to do it, we got to finish it out. God knows the difference. He knows the difference. He knows the difference right now if you serve and want to, you serve because you feel like you need to. God knows the difference between those two things. Long time, Lindsay Lane. How do we have the eagerness that we had in the beginning? Truthfully. How do we get that fire? Yeah, again, not, not to not everybody, but it's true. It just, it's true for everybody that happens over time. How do we get that fire back towards generosity? How do we get that fire back towards serving, towards wanting to make somebody feel welcome that you've never seen here before? How do you get that fire back? Let me tell you how, what you can do. You can be here on the last Sunday of April. We're going to take the Lord's Supper. How do you get that fire back? You need to take the Lord's Supper. What in the world do you mean by that? Do this in remembrance of me. When you remember what God has done for you, you'll want to do for God and for others. That's why God set it up like that in the Old Testament. Set up those altars, and when they passed by them, they would remember the big stuff that God had done. And that way they wouldn't just fall down and then we do this by obligation, but we are fired up and we serve and we like it. Because we remember our Savior that shed His blood and gave His life for our sins and we didn't deserve it, and He did it for us anyway. And not only will we remember the blood that was shed for us, but we will remember that we follow a Savior who says in His Word that His mercies are new every morning. See, when we look back and we remember what God has done for us, we will want to do for God and do for others. In Isaiah chapter 59, Scripture speaks of God's attitude towards sin and helplessness of His people. And, and it's not, I'm going to tell you, it's not like... We've got to deal with our sin again. This is what I do, so I've got to do it. That was not God's approach. I want you to hear this verse. In verse 17 of Isaiah 59. He put on righteousness as his body armor and placed the helmet of salvation on his head. He clothed himself with a robe of vengeance because he's got to deal with it. Now watch this. And wrapped himself in a cloak of divine passion. God was fired up to help you. Fired up to meet your spiritual need. He clothed himself in passion so he could get to work. What do we need to get need to do to get that passion back? You need to be here on the last Sunday of, uh, of Easter, of last Sunday of April, so that we can remember what God has done, so that we will do for God and do for others. Corinth, remember your Savior, his generosity, his desire. When you first heard this opportunity, your desire to meet it, get it back and get going. Longtime church member, look at what you used to do and ask yourself, why don't we do that anymore? Seriously, ask yourself that. And some of you may have, and some of you may say this, and I understand some of it. Well, we're new here. And we used to do that in another church. So this time we really want to, no, 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 no. <laughs> Let's get after it. Hit the ground running. Some, some, some of us that are older have been longtime church members. We used to do that, and we're, 
y'all, let me tell you something. You can't use age when you look in the scripture and see how old those folks were that God was using. All that goes out the window. So we've got to figure something out. Get it back. Get it back. There's still people that need to feel welcome here. There's still people coming in and visiting our church that need to know there's room for them. You've got to make that happen. There's still people on the outside of the church that don't even know where this church is. Long-time Lindsay Lane members, it may hurt our feelings to go somewhere in Athens this week and say, do you know where Lindsay Lane is? And them go, I have not a clue. There's still people like that. you got to let them know. Like, we are still on the clock. We're still working for the things that God cares about it. If you don't have enthusiasm, you better get it. Because we're going forward. And we're fired up about reaching people for the glory of God and their own good. The second thing, relative to eagerness, is our attitude is not separate from our amount. Our attitude is not separate from our amount, regardless of whether it's $1 or $1,000. Our attitude is not separate from that. The Bible said, whatever you give is acceptable if you give it eagerly. If you give it eagerly. If is what? It's a conditional word. It means maybe, maybe not. Acceptable means well received and approved. Meaning that regardless of what amount we give, it may or may not be approved. Well, approved by who? The church at Jerusalem? No, they don't care about whether or not you give it with the right motive or not. They're going to put it to good use. They're struggling. They need it, and they'll be glad to get it. We mean approved by God. Approved by the one who knows every thought, every motive of our heart. God knows. Our attitude is not separate from the amount. Let's say that on October the 3rd, somebody skips up on in here, and they bring to Lindsay Lane Baptist Church to the Give to Go Missions offering a check for $20,000. $20,000. Now, if some of us in our offices saw that check go through, we might be like, Wow. If some of you knew that they gave it, you may be like, whoa. And the places and people that it ministered to, they would be so grateful that you gave that amount. But what if according to God it didn't mean a thing? What about according to God if you gave it with a clenched fist instead of an open hand? He knew it and it didn't even count. See, our attitude is not separate from the amount that we Give. And it's the same for $20 or 20000 God is most concerned about the heart attitude in which we give, not the amount that we give. This is a good place to say, y'all, that our motives matter before God. Our motives really do matter. You know, we can come up in here and we can sing two songs in a row and never worship, not one minute. That's dependent upon what? It's dependent upon the attitude of our heart. Dwayne and I were just talking before the service. I shared this last service. If you think about, well, how how do I get that correct motive in my heart before I open my mouth? Don't open your mouth. Close your eyes and ask the Lord to give you the right motive before you sing and remind you so that you can remember the price that's been paid for you so you can sing out loud with purpose. It's the same thing with giving. Close your eyes and go to the Lord and let God work on your heart and prepare your heart towards responding with generosity rather than giving out of obligation or tradition. God knows if we're giving emotionally. He knows if we're giving traditionally. He knows if we're giving thankfully. Motives matter to God. Jesus said, these people come in here and they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are not even anywhere near me. He said that in Matthew chapter 15, verse 8. Now see, in the church in America, we could substitute lips for wallets. 
Did y'all pick that up? These people honor me with their wallets, but their hearts are far from me. God help us. He knows the motive of our heart. One, one last note on enthusiasm as we are thinking about getting it back and knowing that our attitude is not separate from the amount. One last note as a repetitive note on enthusiasm or eagerness. It's contagious. It's contagious. It catches on both ways. If you're fired up, it catches on. If you're not, that'll catch on too. Scripture says in chapter 9, verse 2, For I knew how, or I know how eager you are to help, and I have been boasting to the churches in Macedonia that you in Greece were ready to send an offering a year ago. Now listen to this part. In fact, it was your enthusiasm that stirred up many of the Macedonian believers to begin giving. It was the enthusiasm of the Corinthian church who had not even finished the offering that fired up the churches in Macedonia that finished theirs. Their enthusiasm was contagious. I remember, I remember going to this restaurant when I was a young guy. I can't remember the age. I was with the group. And in this restaurant, when you had a, an anniversary or a birthday, they'd let you break plates, and it was awesome. Like, they seriously would take plates, break them, shattered, and everybody in there was like, Hey! And we were like, Hey, that's awesome. So before we left, after a couple of anniversary parties, birthday parties had done that, one of the guys that was with us just got so fired up, he was like, slammed it down. And everybody was like, yeah. And we were like, dude, what are you doing? And the staff was like, dude, what are you doing? And he just got so caught up in the enthusiasm around that he just started doing the same thing. Eagerness catches on. So does apathy. So does apathy. Is it Wednesday night again? We serving again. They changed something again. Another offering opportunity again. You roll your eyes, they roll theirs. The ones you influence. Eagerness, enthusiasm will catch on. If you need to get it, you need to get it by remembering what's been paid for you. You take an apathetic attitude to church, watch the ones around you that you influence do the same thing. Parents and grandparents, if we're indifferent about what God values to the church, just watch that next generation not even come. What do you mean by that? We didn't take it serious. There's no reason why they should. It catches on. It's contagious. You know what I've seen in the last year, y'all? I've seen senior adults in this church call us to come by and get their tithe check. I have seen senior adults tell us that it'll be on the porch. I've seen them drive by this church just so that they could give. And at 38 years old, you better believe that fires me up to get my checkbook out too. Because enthusiasm to contribute to what the Lord is doing, it catches on. You need to hear stories like that because those stories are winners. They count. It counts before God. Enthusiasm is contagious. Last thing we see in the Scripture that is repetitive that we need to see is equality. Equality. Now, some of you are already listening on the edge of your seat to hear something that may suggest socialism so that you can talk about it over lunch today. I'm serious. If you would just for a moment turn off Fox News and CNN and hear the Scripture. Just for a moment. 
We've read the word equality. All you started thinking about is the last year. You're already against it before God's word even said it. Not all of us, but some of us. It's, it's a shame how we are filtering our spiritual values through our political convictions and not our political convictions through our spiritual values. You hear that? Turn it off for just a minute and hear the word of God. This is not about socialism. It's not about communism. This is about a kingdom economy in which God takes care of his people. This is not about something that man rules and comes up with. This is about what God comes up with to take care of those who are his. Equality is the word that is used repetitively in the scripture. God takes care of his people. Amen? God takes care of his people. And one of the ways that God takes care of his people is through his people. That's how God does it. The verse of scripture in verse 13. Of course, I don't mean your giving should make life easy for each other and hard for yourselves. I only mean that there should be some equality. Right now, you have plenty and can help those who are in need. Later, they will have plenty and can share with you when you need it. In this way, things will be equal. There's that word again. Verse 15. As the scriptures say, those who gathered a lot had nothing left over, and those who gathered only a little had enough. That last verse of scripture was referring to when God's people were gathering manna. The resource of sustenance that God had put before his people as they were making their way from Egypt to the promised land, God provided. And and some of those who were healthy and strong gathered a whole lot. And those who were not healthy and strong, they gathered what they could. But there was never a need because there was an idea of sharing resources so that God's people would be taken care of. This idea is that one side should not be sitting in abundance when the other side is struggling to live. And that is the truth. Y'all, if you've not gone on a mission trip, you need to go on one. Because you'll think to yourself, I don't live in abundance. Yes, you do. When you walk up a mountainside and there's a two-room hut with a dirt floor, and four or five folks live there together, you'll understand what we got real quick. We make all the excuses that we want to make about how we don't have anything to offer. We don't have anything to give. You a lie. In comparison with what you see in different places. That's the whole point of this scripture. God's word says Macedonia churches can give. Y'all, if they can give, you can give. That was the whole point. He was saying, Corinth, are you hearing this? You're a good church. It needs to be even better. Because these churches that you inspired to give actually gave. And so the idea, again, is when you are sitting in abundance, there should not be others that are struggling to survive. There should be a likeness amongst believers. And that doesn't mean a redistribution of wealth. That means that brothers and sisters in Christ, when they have needs, the church meets those needs to take care of the people that are God's people. Side note, we don't often see ourselves as having plenty because what we do have is already spoken for. See, we've already put every dime we've got towards things that we need or maybe even that we don't. So this is why when we even talk about generosity towards a missions offering or towards tithes and offerings, we're like, well, we can't do it. No, we can. We've just already pledged it for something else. Again, just reporting. 
Just reporting. The idea is also that one side is not to give sacrificially to the point of where generosity leaves them down and out. God is not trying to get you to give up so sacrificially that now they're going to need to turn around and give it right back to you. That's, that's not the idea that God is going for. God is not requiring poverty of one for the prosperity of another. That's not what God is requiring. And you should know this too. The prosperity of gospel is absolutely false. So is the poverty gospel. That's also false. But they challenge us to rely upon God. They, they challenge us to, to, to trust that, that God will take care of us. The idea is also proportional. This is another repetition. Give according to what you have, not what you don't. That's what the Bible says in verse 12, the last half. Give according to what you have, not what you don't. God judges our resources and what we give based on what we have, not on what we don't have. That's fair, amen? And and so the issue, though, of, of what we have and how we spend it is relative to what we have. If you overspend and therefore never have anything to give, you can't excuse it before God by saying, well, I don't have anything to give. No, you just, it's just a misappropriation of funds. You know, we, every, every young couple that comes to Brittany and I for premarital counseling, we had to learn this ourselves. They come in, they sit down, and we begin to talk about money because money can break up a marriage. Are you hearing me? The love of money can split you right down the middle. And so as we talk about money and the things that matter, we tell them three things. Our former senior pastor gave a message one time. I wrote it down and haven't forgot it. He said, when it comes to money, there's three principles you need to know. Give, save, spend. So we talk about those three principles that are biblical with this premarital counseling couple. You know what we don't talk about? We don't talk about spending because we're all good at that. We're fine on that. We can all write a class on that one. We talk about saving money because that's in that scripture, and you're going to need to because the rainy days are coming, right? But the other thing we talk about is giving. Don't make every dime you have already spoken for so that when God puts it on your heart to be generous towards something he values and you do too, you'll be ready and able and willing to do it. We talk about this. This is the, this is the equality that what the, out of the abundance you have, you're going to set somebody else up to meet their needs. The idea is also that generosity is reciprocal. The Bible says later they will have plenty and can share with you when you need it. You see, here's the thing I, I, I often remind myself of. We don't think we're ever going to need anybody's help. We don't think there's never going to be a rainy day in our place. Y'all, I'm telling you, the, the, the Scripture says in Proverbs, don't brag about tomorrow since you don't know what a day will bring. A day may bring some sort of travesty to our lives, God forbid, but it may bring something like that in our lives, and all of a sudden, we're on that other side, and we are requesting prayer, and we are needing help financially. The idea of generosity here in chapter 8 is reciprocal. Two things I, I want to give us as we begin to close, as I said, we begin to close. Two things I want to give us when it comes to providing help, providing relief for other people that I really believe will help us. Number one, get to know people. Number two, let people know you. When it comes to providing relief for others, number one, get to know people. Number two, let people know you. We further understand the needs of people, y'all, when we take the time to listen to their stories. 
if, if we are considering whether or not to give towards somebody, someone, towards some cause, some family, we further understand their need when we actually take the time to do a little research, to take the time to listen to, to the stories of a family. Y'all, be careful to, to not to generalize today. People nowadays, see, that stuff groups everybody into one category. Hey, people that came before us, again, that groups everybody into one category. This world today is what? A lot of saved people in this world. A lot of people working for God's glory in this world. But this world today, we, we, we categorize into one place. You know what's amazing to me? It's amazing how a lot of folks are trying to get through our borders into this country, and every one of us seem to already know what their story is before they bust the doors. They're worthless. They bunch of people that sell drugs. They're looking out for themselves. Violence. Hey, y'all know there's kids also walking with them. See, so we we look at things like this, and because we generalize already, these folks are coming in here. Why not? Why don't us look like an opportunity of God has now allowed folks coming in? I realize the other side about how we have to protect our borders, but we in this culture, in this context, don't have to talk about that. We already get that. It's the other part of where we won't give you an invitation to church if you don't look like me. I already know what your story is. I already know you made bad decisions. You've had money and you lost it. It's on you. We have just made this assumption with an entire group of people that they're not even worth. Worth what? Jesus dying for them? Hearing the gospel? Come on now. This may surprise you, but everybody's poverty is not based on a bad decision. It may surprise you, but everybody's poverty is not based on mismanagement and irresponsibility. Sometimes people fall on hard times. And even if they did make a bad decision, you got grace for yours? Not everybody's poverty is based on these things. Sometimes it's relative to poor health. Sometimes our people and kids are living with the deal they got from mom and daddy. You see, if we don't take time to listen and really invest ourselves in people, we just keep watching the news and whatever they say goes even above what this says. God help the church. Proverbs 16, 11 says, The Lord demands accurate scales and balances. He sets the standards for fairness. Y'all, we've got to get to know folks before we make conclusions. Second thing, we talk about let people know you. Many times, people that come in off the streets into our church will share a testimony with us. They're saved. A lot of times, they'll write down on the piece of paper where they go to church. But nobody knows them. And, and truthfully... No, because nobody knows them, it's harder to get there to contribute. They, they would tell us, they would tell us, I'm, I'm saved and this is how I know I'm saved. And their testimony according to us is it checks every box. We're listening for repentance and faith. But then they would tell us about a church that they belong to, but they haven't been there in forever, so nobody knows them. So when they go to them, they tell them that they can't help. Let me mention one more thing about that. If a church says they can't help somebody, they lie. I'm grateful to be a part 
of a ministry and a team of leaders that when people come in off the street, we will take the time to listen to their stories so that we can be a good steward of God's money to the poor. Read the scripture. There's something in there about how God honors that. So, so we take the time to hear that story, but the truth is there's a, there's a certain separation of tension there because we truly don't know them. Everybody in this church, if this is your church, you need to get to know somebody. Somebody, you need to get to know them so that we'll be like the church in Acts chapter 2. We spent so much time together that when you need a house, we'll give it to you. Lord, help us. I don't even know what that looks like in our culture. But go read Acts chapter 2. That's what was happening. People got saved. Church started getting together. They met so often when they recognized the needs of people. Guess what they did? They met them. Because God uses his people to take care of his people. Y'all, I've seen stuff like that happen in this church. I'm serious. I've seen people that have been absolutely without a way to provide for themselves. And you have said, I got it. And took care of it. Acts chapter 2. You see, that's what God can do with his church. What can God do with us? Nothing but everything. Nothing but everything. Let people know who you are. You know what? This is a good word from a couple of our church members. We talked to them the other day. They said they started sitting in different places so that they could meet different people. That's good, isn't it? If you sit over here every time you come in, how about sitting over here next time? That way you can say, I know you don't know me, but I'm so-and-so and I've been here a long time. We're glad that you're here. And they may tell you this, man, we've been here longer than you have. <clears throat> and that's fine. But see, that's where fellowship happens. When you serve together, when you work together, when you make an intentional effort to get to know somebody, people need to know you. This really does happen in Christian churches. Now let's close with this illustration. I want to go back to the opening illustration when, about the seatbelt and the seatbelt alarm. He fashioned those wires to where that seatbelt alarm would go off and go off and go off and it would continue to do that until she buckled up. But she had another option. She could have gotten out or disconnected those wires. When God repeatedly is putting something in front of us, we can either buckle up or disconnect the wires. It would be better for your walk with God and your personal peace in your life just to buckle up. Let God drive you. Let God have you. God has wanted to take you to a certain place, wanted to take you there safely. Let God have his way in your heart so that God will have his way in your time, so that God will have his way in your wallet, so that God will have his way in this church. The biggest invitation today is really not even an invitation to give, even though you've been presented that and you will be continued to be presented with that. The biggest invitation today is that we need God who loves us so much to change us. And the way that he has done that is by making a way for you to be forgiven and by promising you his presence through the presence of the Holy Spirit of God. If today for the first time that has made sense in your heart and mind. And you know that you need to get right with God. Don't wait any longer. The alarms keep going off. Don't ignore them. What do I do? There's a few things you can do. You can walk this aisle. 
And I'm going to stand right up here. And we got another pastor who's going to stand right up here. And you can forget by what everybody else is thinking because the majority of them are thinking good for you. Amen, church? But if you're thinking, I appreciate that invitation, but I'm not walking up there. We have a connect card that we gave you on the way in. If you want to be saved, you want to make sure that you're saved, you want to get baptized, check the box, put it in the offering bucket. Let that be your offering on the way out is letting us help you. Do you need to be baptized? You saw the example of some young folks get baptized and take a, take a step of obedience this morning. Do you need to be baptized? You need to join the church and be a part of this church and not just attend this church, amen, but be a part of it where you're coming to the gathering, you're in a group, and you're moving with the body. Whatever it is, we want to help you with your next steps today. Let's stand to our feet. A lot can happen between now and the next few moments. Pray, O oh God, in the name of Jesus, there, there would be no distractions on what we need to do, that we would eagerly move towards that which you are revealing to us. Lord, if we are being warned or there's an alarm, God, you continue to put it in front of us. I pray in the name of Jesus that we would, by faith and turning to you and turning from ourselves, Lord, would be saved. God, that we would be going in the way that we need to be going. Lord, if we just need to have a conversation with others that we've got questions about, just pray, oh Lord, you would help us through this time to respond in all honesty in Jesus' name. Amen. This altar is open for you.